0: pray with me. Lord, uh, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer, and oh, how we need you. So be with us. Come, Holy Spirit, as we open up these words that Jim has read for us, as we understand what it means that you are our shepherd, as we think about our identity as sheep, and as we Lean into a life lived under your watchful, loving, gracious, protective, shepherding care for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I was in high school, I remember um, sitting in my room one day, I I think I was upset about something, something high school related. I was sort of angsty and you know how you get in high school. And uh, I could hear outside that the kids were playing in in the front yard. Some of you have heard this story before. Um, we had one of those houses that was sort of like the house on the block. It had a basketball hoop. And so when I was younger, we were always playing out front. And then that sort of continued through the next generations of kids who were on the block. And so they would all flock to our house, even though we didn't have any little kids anymore. And I, I could hear them outside playing. And I thought, well, uh, I know what I'll do. I'll take action regarding my depressive state. And I'll go outside and I'll play with the kids. And then I'll, I'll feel happy, right? I'll, I'll get in connection with, with my childhood again and the joys of my childhood. So I, I went outside to the basketball court where they were all playing. And to my dismay, what I discovered was one of the most toxic environments I'd been in for a long time. The, the kids were all picking on one other kid. Uh, they were trying out, like, the new swear words they had just learned, you know, um, they, were, they were just trash talking like crazy, and I could just feel my mood plummeting as I watched this, and my, I mean, if, if they would have had a pig's head, they would have mounted it on a stick, you know, Lord of the Flies style. Uh, in fact, I think it was around that time that I had read the book, Lord of the Flies, and I remember that was another one of those crash moments where in the beginning of the book, you know, uh, a lot of us read that in, in 10th grade. If we're from the U.S. And the beginning of that book, it starts off, these children are all stranded on an island. And it's like idyllic. It's the most wonderful thing because they have all the freedom. They have this whole island that they own. They can do whatever they want. And you're reading this and you're just thinking, oh, this is going to be the greatest. And then, you know, you turn over a page and all of a sudden everything starts to fall apart because of a lack of good leadership on the island. They find they can't exist together Without leadership, and the leadership that they have is toxic. It's not good. And the story just goes downhill from there. It gets worse and worse as kids die, and again, toxic environment. And uh, what we realize, right, at some point in life is that it's really hard to live. It's really hard to thrive without good leadership. I'm talking about leadership this morning, talking really about shepherding, which I think is a more robust term for leadership. I almost entitled this, We Are Sheep. But uh, I thought it would be better to emphasize kind of the the leadership component that comes from God in this process. But it's sort of that constellation of ideas that we're going to be looking at this morning. And as we've been going through the high points in the Old Testament, we've been seeing how uh, God has shepherded the people of Israel um, throughout. One of the things that we're doing in this series called We Are is we're looking back at the, the peaks, uh, the high points, as I say, of the Old Testament, which really become the building blocks for what we understand as to be the fulfillment of the gospel in the New Testament. And I find that if I have a deep understanding of that Old Testament story and some of the high points of it, then the the good parts of the New Testament, the important parts of the New Testament, they start to pop out with a new kind of life. And so that's been our goal throughout this series is to look at how these high points in the Old Testament shape the way that we read the New Testament and then ultimately shape the way that we think about ourselves because they're entryways into how God views us us, and there are ways for us to really uh, work on building that kind of identity that is healthiest because it's derived from the Lord. And so when you go back into the Old Testament, as we've been doing, we started with the fall Uh, And I I just want to say to you that, you know, the the Old Testament seems uh, overwhelming to us at times, but if you can get some of these high points lined up and understand how they fit together, um, it really reduces the complexity of it. And once you understand the flow, it's not that complicated. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking that the Old Testament is a bit overwhelming, I haven't really mastered it, you can do this. In fact, we do have a Gospel Academy class where we go through the entire Bible in 45 minutes, and you can put together the storyline of the Bible. And if you work at that and get that under your belt, then all these, these smaller uh, narratives that take place within the scripture will make greater sense to you. You'll, you'll be able to interpret them and understand them in light of the grand story. It's a very important part of your discipleship, of my discipleship, for us to have an understanding of it. If we can understand, you know, um, I've said this before, but the, the uh, MCU, the Marvel Comic Universe, you know. You can understand the Bible, or if, or if you're not into Marvel, you know, if if you if you can understand Dune, which I haven't seen, but apparently it's a, I've got to set aside a day to go and watch that movie. Um, if you can understand something like that, if you, or if that's not your thing, like maybe you're a Downton Abbey person, you know, if you can understand Downton Abbey, you can understand the flow of the Old Testament and the story there. And once you do, you know, so much of what is in the New Testament will pop with a new kind of life. And that deeper understanding of who we are. What God's been doing with us since the beginning of his work with us, starting and outlined in the very beginning of scripture. We talked about the fall. Um, we talked about the exodus. Uh, and remember, the people of Israel, they're, they're growing into this. They're blossoming into this Community, the society of people who are going to be a kingdom of priests, and uh, they they're, they're in the Exodus. They're taken out of Egypt, and remember, they're saved uh, because they go through. I love that new song. Um, I wanted to talk about it. It's like it's Exodus. The w- give us a way. Exodus means a way out, and 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 that's what God does with the Israelites when they're enslaved in Egypt. He takes, he finds a way out for them, and they come out. And he wants to take them into this promised land where they're going to live and grow into a society and become a kingdom of priests who will infect the rest of God's creation, the rest of the world, with with God's values and ways. And it will be transformative. It'll it'll just sort of move outward. Um, But they disobey. And so... They need to figure out how they're gonna maintain a right relationship with God. And Miguel preached on this last week. They're gonna have this, they're gonna have this sacrificial system which is gonna hold them in right relationship and uphold the, the Ten Commandments and all the laws so those stay central to who they are, so they can keep their job as the king of their role, their calling as a kingdom of priests to ultimately bless all nations on earth. Uh, and so then after you know 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because their disobedience, uh, and isn't it interesting, by the way, that God saves them first out of Egypt before he, he gives them the law? Isn't it powerful that and that's how He always works with us, He always calls us out to Himself, and then He shows us what to do? Oftentimes, we think we have to do everything right in order to get to God, but actually, God comes to us first and says, Come to me and then he shows us what to do then he gives us a life of learning how to how to live anyway so so you know with the with the whole priestly system they're to understand God's ways uh, and then finally they get to move into the promised land and so we come into the book of Judges and they begin to to take over the territory in the promised land and they get mostly there but because again of disobedience they don't they don't go all the way and 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 so now they're established uh, in excuse me that was the book of Joshua and now they're established and they're in the book of Judges and one of the main themes in the book of Judges is that the people did whatever they saw fit, whatever they thought was right in their own minds is what it says. And again, it's just like Lord of the Flies. It's, it's like the kids in my front yard. There's this decay that happens when everybody decides to just act and the, when there's an absence of leadership. And there are judges in the book of Judges who provide leadership for a season, but it's not very strong leadership. And then the people, the people turn away and, and, and they do their own thing until finally we get to this point in the beginning of the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel, where the people are calling out for a king. We don't use the word king these days very often. Um, so think of that as a form of leadership. They're calling out for somebody to lead them, to watch over them. Um, and they demand of the judge at that time, Samuel, the prophet Samuel, that he would provide for them a king. And Samuel says, you know, you, you've already got God as your king. You don't need a king. And they say, no, we want a king. We want a human king to lead us in battle and to fight our battles for us. That's in 1 Samuel 8. And Samuel has this back and forth with the Lord. And then they finally to establish, decide to establish a king. And And the first king comes along, and his name's Saul, and he's not obedient um, to the Lord. And then finally we get King David, who we're going to talk about. We, We heard the text about King David this morning. And this is really the place where we connect in as human beings. It's that longing for leadership, just like was expressed among the people of Israel there in 1 Samuel 8, that they longed for leadership. They wanted somebody to take the reins. None none of us wants anarchy, right? Unless maybe, has anybody been to Top Dog recently? They have, you know, restaurant. There's statements all over. Some of you know, they have statements all over about how, you know, it's promoting anarchy, but it's very rare for people in our world to promote anarchy. We want somebody to lead us. We want somebody to watch over us. We, We need that in our families, in our homes. We need leadership. Um, we need that in our workplaces. Sometimes maybe you've experienced an, a, a leadership gap in your workplace and you know what, what happens uh, in those moments and how, how damaging it can be to people and to their lives um, when there is that, that gap. Maybe if you're a student. You know, or maybe you remember back to the time when you had that substitute teacher who came in, right, and didn't have control over the classroom and it turned into anarchy. Um, This is where we connect in. We have a desperate longing in our lives for leadership, to actually be shepherded is what the, the heart longing is for us, is to be shepherded. There was a study that was done. Uh, a while back, I think it was 2014, that had to. They were, they were trying to figure out why people can't walk in a straight line. So this guy blindfolded people and he put them in a, like a giant field where they could walk for a long period of time. He didn't just blindfold them, he actually covered their faces completely so they weren't able to see at all. Like he you couldn't you know, sneak a peek under the blindfold. And he had them walk supposedly in the same direction for a long time. And they, did a, they put GPS tracker on them. And when the study was done, in almost every single case, the people walked in circles. They couldn't walk in a straight line. They were trying. They thought that they were walking in a straight line. And what was amazing about it is sometimes the turns were very sharp, right? It's not like they were doing huge sweeping things. They would do these really erratic, dramatic turns. They couldn't walk in a circle. So if you look at the map of the GPF of those people, they're they're all circles. People just wandering in circles. Except for in one case, where it was done on a day when the sun was out, instead of it being foggy. Turns out, even with your face completely covered, your eyes completely covered, it makes a difference if the sun is out. And the people were able... Still, not quite to walk in a straight line, but much closer. Who knows why? In fact, the study, they, they had to go back and research it because they couldn't figure out how, with no ability to see the sun, they could still walk in more of a straight line. Perhaps it was the warmth on them that they could feel coming from a particular direction. Not sure. But when the sun is out, they could walk in a straighter line. And so here we have this text where in verse 4, it says about a great leader, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. I want to talk about the reign of David for just a minute. And then we will bounce from there into the New Testament. People are clamoring for a king there in 1 Samuel 8. Saul comes along, he's crooked, and then David comes along. And we know the story of the life of David. David is a remarkable person. Um, he was chosen, remember, because not because he was the oldest, because he wasn't. Not because he was the biggest, because he wasn't. Not because he was the, the strongest, because he wasn't but because the Lord looks on the heart. David was chosen because of his heart. And we have in the text that was read for us, him referred to as the sweet psalmist. The sweet psalmist. David is the sweet psalmist, which again is a reflection of his character that he could write so many of these powerful psalms that, continued, that continue to minister to us on a daily basis. Thousands, maybe millions of people every day read the psalms are deeply ministered to. Where do you go in life when things are the worst? You go to the Psalms because that's where you find this rich unfolding of David's heart in light of God. So David was a remarkable man. He, he was, he set up the process of constructing the temple, which was really, you know, where God dwells. uh, and, and he didn't actually built the temple he left that to his son because he had been a man of battle a warrior and felt and and it was felt that he couldn't be the one to build God's house because I you know you could say his stained hands from battle but in that that he was in battle he was the protector of Israel um, he was a military leader you know the story of David and Goliath And how he fought the battle that nobody else was willing to fight. Right out there, he went out in front and took on the giant Goliath. Even though, again, he was smaller and younger than all the seasoned soldiers. And not because of his own strength, but because of God's faithfulness. And David's faith in God's faithfulness, he won that battle. And then he went on to win many more battles with the enemies of Israel and to protect this nation. He was a protector. He was godly. He was a protector. And he consolidated the kingdom and he, he organized the people. And in doing that, he made them safe, right? Right? He provided for them. He, he created an environment where they could thrive, where, like it says in this text, that, you know, they could, they could, like grass sprouting up, they could thrive together. And he was a shepherd. Go back to the Psalms, and you'll see the theme of, of shepherding all over. Um, and one of the things that's really poignant about the life of David is the way in which he cares for individuals who had unique needs Um, there's a man named Mephibosheth who gets amazing care from King David and on and on just the character of David and his love for others is powerful to behold so not only was he thinking on the grand scale but he was able to love individuals as well David was a remarkable king and his reign was remarkable But as great as David was, there were three problems at least with King David. Number one, he was an adulterer. You know the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, And then his son emulated him and nearly destroyed the kingdom altogether. Um, And so his legacy was was left um, in tatters. Um, David had a moment, maybe many moments, we know of one in particular, where his pride reared up and caused him to make a grave mistake in the eyes of the Lord, and that was to count, to take a census of all the fighting men in Israel, Um, and, and in that day, you know, probably this was linked into, you know, what we often experience too is people count, right? They count how many people do we have, how many, how strong army, how much money do we have? What's our military like? And it's a way of posturing towards other groups or other nations. And so David, you know, had this this moment of pride where he bought into that and he counted. And of course, the result was uh, a plague uh, that came on the people and 70,000 people died as a result of His pride. Powerful, powerful. And then probably the worst flaw that David has in terms of his ongoing shepherding uh, is that David is dead. David is dead. Peter points this out in Acts when he's giving his sermon. He says, you know, of David, we know where his grave is. He's still dead. He died and he's still dead. So for people like us who hope for an ongoing living king, David's not going to serve. He's a great example, and we can learn a ton from David still today, and we can be ministered to by the words of David and the story and the life of David. Some of my favorite portions of scripture are there in 1 and 2 Samuel and the life of David, just so incredibly rich. So we have so much from this, but David is dead. David is dead. He can't be my king right now. And I need one. I need one. And you need one. We need one. Well, like we've seen each week, uh, God provides uh, an imperfect answer to the problems of humanity in the Old Testament. And then when we cross over into the New Testament, we see the fuller, richer fulfillment of God's answer to the problem of humanity, whether it be sin or whether it be leadership or whether it be captivity or imprisonment, whatever it is, we begin to see the answer in the Old Testament and then we see its fulfillment and the promise of its ongoing fulfillment in the new testament there's a there's a term for this it's a progressive fulfillment so when you're looking at so many of the different things in the old testament um these prophecies you'll see progressive fulfillment of the prophecies in the old testament things will 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 come come to be but it 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 won't be the whole thing that you had hoped for because it's awaiting a day for the completion And that's true in the area of leadership, of shepherding, of the king, um, as it is in so many of the other areas. And even David himself foresaw that there would one day be the ultimate fulfillment of the kingship that he was inhabiting. And you can see that throughout the course of his psalms and and the way that he talks. Um, He foresaw there would be one who wouldn't remain in the tomb. And... On the basis of David's testimony and other testimony, the people of Israel, they kept hoping. They kept hoping and waiting that maybe they'd be able to fulfill their calling to bless all nations, right? They still hadn't fulfilled their calling to be a blessing to all the nations. They kept waiting for a leader to come who would enable them to fulfill their God-given calling. See, that's what we need too. We need good leadership to be able to fulfill our God-given calling. They were waiting. They waited through 1,000 years in anticipation. And in that time, they were overrun by various nations, ultimately to be overcome by the Roman Empire. And then as they waited through long periods of silence from God, along comes this child who is the promised king. So the people are saying and their hopes are beginning to find a handle, something to grasp onto as they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And the baby grows into a boy and wows the people in the temple. And he begins to fulfill more and more prophecies about the coming king. And he begins to heal people in miraculous ways. And the crowds start to follow him. And the anticipation is at a fevered pitch. And he can't get away to be alone. He goes in the boat to cross over and thousands of thousands of people, not even thinking about how they're going to find food, run all the way around the lake just to be with him because they're so excited and they're so hopeful and they think perhaps this is the king that they've been waiting for and longing for and they can't wait until he finally enters Jerusalem and establishes his throne. Because that's what kings do in Israel. They go to Jerusalem and they take the seat on the throne. So Jesus starts to tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem. Yes, we're heading to Jerusalem. We're on our way. And then Jesus says, and there I will be killed. And there I will be killed. They say, wait. First of all, it's weird that you know that. And second of all, if you know that, can't you stop it from happening? We thought you were the one to come that we had hoped for. Jesus goes to Jerusalem. he's a king, but he doesn't seem to be acting in a very kingly way at this point, especially as he's hanging there on that cross. People who walk by mock him, and the irony is that they think the things they say about him in mocking him are actually true so When the disciples begin to understand what is the form of this kingly um, manifestation in Jerusalem, it's on the lips of those who are mocking him. Listen to the examples. Matthew 27, now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. Matthew twenty seven twenty nine and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They think they're mocking him, but they're actually right. Matthew 27, 37, and over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Matthew 27, 42. He saved others, the scribes and Pharisees said, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. What they're saying is all true, but nobody can make sense of it. What's going on here? Obviously, Jesus has the credentials Obviously, he has the power. He's been healing people miraculously. What is going on? And the answer is, a more beautiful rain is coming. A more beautiful rain is coming. Jesus is a king like no other because he doesn't merely want to rule over people with a stick, with a rod, to make them do what they ought to do which is what every human king in the history of the world has only had at their disposal, was the attempt to make people do from the outside what they ought to be doing. A more beautiful reign actually has as its center the transformation of people from the inside. Jesus' reign is transformative. He doesn't just want it to be an external reign. Um, he wants ultimately that he shouldn't, that people shouldn't need to be led in that way. You remember that in, um, in 1 Samuel, God said to the people, You already have a king. I'm your king. And in Jeremiah, later on, the prophet will say that, that God's gonna replace your heart, you can put a new covenant in your heart, new commandments in your heart. God's going to transform you from the inside. The law will be inside of you so you won't need to be ruled in the same way. The reign of God can be that much more beautiful because it's, it, is, it is rooted in the transformation of the people. And this is what Jesus brings about when he's hanging on that cross and the people don't understand How in the world this can be the work of a king? Because in the atonement, as you know, maybe some of you don't know, here's the center of all of Christianity, that in the atonement there on that cross, Jesus is offering himself as the sacrificial lamb to make amends for sin so that we could be cleansed, so that we then could be filled with the Holy Spirit to become the temple of God. God was existing in the temple. Now he resides in the people of God because of the cleansing work of Jesus that makes the way for us to be filled. And once we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the work of transformation From the inside, can take place. There's an analogy here to parenting, right? We don't want to have to rule over our kids for the rest of their lives, telling them what to do. We want them to take on board the character traits and the qualities of what it means to be a good human being. We want them to be transformed from the inside, right? Now, we don't have the same kind of powers to accomplish that that God does, but But in Christ, God has made that possible with us to bring about internal transformation. Jesus is doing the same thing. So that we see that in Jesus' reign, this beautiful reign that Jesus is uh, bringing about, um, it is not a superficial kind of leadership. His first move is to change us on the inside. Before you can be led, you have to be leadable. And that's what Christ makes possible. Before you can be led, you have to be leadable. And Jesus pays the price to make us leadable so that then he can come and lead us. He comes first not like a king, but like a servant. In fact, this is what it says in Matthew 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. So that he can be our real king. See? Otherwise, we'd just keep bucking his leadership, his authority over our lives. We'd keep disobeying and running the other way. He will return. And he will establish his authority and he will bring the sword. And it will be awesome and and powerful and mighty and fearsome. Because of his holiness and his greatness. But he's done something beautiful first, which is to begin the process of transforming us from the inside out. So that we can actually come under the reign of Christ right now. We can come under the reign of Christ. Right now, he taught us to ask for that in the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The king- kingdom is simply rain. He taught us to pray for that. All you got to do is to put it in the words of the text that we're studying. All you have to do is let the light of Christ dawn on you. Go back to verse four. He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. So as we ask the question here, I'm going to finish with this. How do you come under Christ's reign right now? How do you come under Christ's reign right now? How does he dawn on you like the morning light? Causing goodness and bounty and blessing to sprout up in your life. That's the application. That's the question I ask. And the first move we've already talked about, which is to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, to understand that the first move is for the... The sin in me to be atoned for by the work of Christ on the cross so that I can be reconciled to God, filled with the Holy Spirit, and the work, the transformative work of God can begin to take place in me. And and you don't bring anything to making that happen. All you do is you see it and you say, yes, in faith, I want that for me. Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner I recognize that your work on the cross is an atoning work. I would like it to be applied to me. Would you please have mercy on me? Apply that work to my life so that I can live in full relationship with you. That's the first step. To come under the light that dawns in the rain, the shepherding work, the leadership of Jesus Christ. The second thing is has to do with your identity, who you are. And like I said, I almost entitled this, you know, we are sheep. Um, but with, there are not that many sheep, except for John, I guess, when he was in the park the other day. We don't see sheep that much. And so the language of being a sheep, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us. But for the sheep, it was a wonderful thing to have a shepherd to be watching over it, to be leading it. To still waters, to making it lie down in green pastures, you know, to protecting the sheep, all the things that we sing about in Psalm twenty-three when we sang that. That that's the work of the shepherd. To be shepherded, to be a sheep, to understand your identity as a sheep who has a wonderful, incredible shepherd, is to understand something very important and and life-giving about yourself. One of the things that probably causes us the most angst, and, and maybe if you were out on Black Friday, you saw this. You know, you ever see, like, a child running away from the parents, and then there's the child, you know, unshepherded, alone, in a public place, right? Or if you've had that happened with your kids you know Jody and I had that on occasion where we would miss the handoff and all of a sudden a, a child is 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 gone unshepherded there's like nothing more vulnerable seeming than that right when you see a child in that state and just just sort of probably some of you have experienced that in your life in powerful ways. You know, Christmas time, Thanksgiving, one of the hard things about it is that the brokenness in our families comes to the fore and kind of over, can overwhelm us at times. And some of us grew up like that child in the mall. We didn't have the protection of strong parenting. Maybe a father was absent or a mother was absent absent physically or absent spiritually, and we were left to our own devices. And that began to shape who we are and, and how we viewed ourselves. And, and even you might be 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 years old, and still you're being shaped by that brokenness that came in the beginning of your life. And this is the powerful thing about coming to Christ. Is that now Christ says, look, I'm the good shepherd. I'm going to shepherd you. You are not that lost child anymore in the mall with nobody to care for you. I am your good shepherd. You are my sheep. And I will, I will not lose you. It's the story of Jesus The the parable of leaving the 99 to go find the one lost, right? That's you. That's how Jesus shepherds you. That's who you now are in Christ. You are the protected one. You are the shepherded one. You are the watched over one. You are not the abandoned one any longer. It's the message of Jesus. And then there's an action piece to this which is for you to step into the light, to move under the light. How to come under Christ's reign? Move in the light. Move into the light. Now, that's a beautiful metaphor. What does it actually mean? It means the typical things, right? It means getting in front of your Bible and reading it. You know, it means praying. It means confessing. It means obeying. That's how you come under the light Of this king who's dawning. You come under the light. One of the best things for me over this Thanksgiving. Was I had a few mornings. The sun was out. I was on my patio with my Bible. I had three mornings in a row. With my journal and my Bible. And the Lord shined his light on me. In some areas of darkness. Where I had need. And I thank God for it. Sometimes coming under the light. Is, is warming, right? Sometimes we come into the light, it warms you. You know, we love to go, Jody and our dates, we love to go to this little restaurant, Rendezvous, that's near our house, and they, you can sit outside, and sometimes it's cold, so we move our chairs, you know, to get into the sun, and it's just like, yes. Warms you up. But then sometimes, coming into the light, it's a little hot. Right, we were at another restaurant on a date a while back, and it was scorching hot. This was a few months ago, and there were no seats in the shade. And they're like, "You don't want to sit out here?" And we're like, "No, we really want to sit outside." And so we sat outside, and and like I'm just sweating, you know, eating and sweating, and just because the light coming on me was hot, and sometimes coming under the light is like that, and we're afraid of what God will reveal. And how he might want to change us and grow us. And so we, we remain in the shade. Jesus is saying, come under my light. Even when it feels too hot, it will be good for you. Because I am transforming you and changing you. Remember what I always say about Spurgeon. Spurgeon said, everything I learned in times of ease, I could fit in a thimble. You know the little tiny thing. In other words, you need some heat in life to be able to really grow and to be transformed. And sometimes when you come under the light of this kingly leadership, things in you that you didn't want to know about will be exposed and revealed. And you know why? Because Jesus loves you. He doesn't want you to remain in that prison you've been in. He wants to free you. And it takes that kind of work. And then lastly, There's an observation piece to this. We don't really bring much. You know, it has to do with the rain that makes the grass to sprout from the earth. Watch for growth in your life as you come under the light. It's inevitable that when the rain comes down, it will result in growth. That's just how it works. It just does. If there's lots of rain, in the places in the world where there's lots of rain, you get lots of growth. It's inevitable. That's what happens. So the reign of God, the reign of Christ in your life is like that. It's like the rain coming down into the parched earth. And there you are absorbing it. And the sun is shining on you. And together the sun and the rain are causing things to be transformed inside of you. You're causing growth to take place. That's the power of of good leadership. Let me just finish with this. I'll say this quickly as I can. When I, when I first started in ministry, it was because I was working in Northern California on a, on a, on a Native American reservation, working with kids. And I was exposed to their brokenness. They were all in high school. And, um, and then the brokenness of the community around us. And, um, I sat in a room and and I, I was a very, uh, Non compassionate person hadn't cried in years and years and for anybody. I was like 20 years old, and I stood in this room and I knew the stories of these kids and they were broken and hurting. Their parents were getting divorced. You know, they were abandoned. They were lost. They were struggling. They were hurting. And uncharacteristically, I started to weep as I was standing in this classroom watching them play soccer out there and knowing their stories and how broken they were. And I prayed. I was still learning my journey with Jesus, such beginning phases, but I prayed and I said, God, what should I do? And the words that came to me, as much as any words have come to me um, audibly, or if you want to say within the mind, what, I don't know how it happened. But the words that came to me that still hold me today were, give them Jesus. Give them Jesus. And that was my call to ministry. Because I believed at that moment that the one thing that would be able to address all of the complexities of their brokenness and chaos and anarchy and angst would be Jesus. And I still believe that today. It's like 30 years later. I still believe that today. And I watch it. I watch it in your lives. I watch it in my life. He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And amen that he does.